Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, there's a new sheriff in town of the Pac-12 Conference. Teresa Gould made her debut media appearance today doing a Zoom call with media. I jumped on the call. I asked a question, but I wanted a more in-depth conversation, a one-on-one conversation. So I've invited her on the show today to, uh, you know, sort of talk about what's going to happen next and what it means to Oregon State and Washington State. And ask the question, is realignment done? So joining us uh, from the Bay Area, Teresa Gold, the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference. Hey, you got a chance today to, to speak in that capacity. I have to ask, what did that feel like to sort of be in that chair as the commissioner? Well, John, I think it felt invigorating. I think I'm just uh, raring to get going. Tomorrow is my first day as Pac-12 commissioner, and it really energized me. I'm excited about the role. I'm excited about the possibilities, and the conversation I think that we had today with the media gave me a real opportunity to share my vision and share some stories and communicate to the world what my aspirations are in this role. You really have two different jobs because between now and July 1st, you are the commissioner of the Pac-12 with 12 teams in it. And after July 1st, it's like the Pac-2. So how do you balance that as the commissioner? Well, I think the biggest thing in, in terms of kind of balancing what the role looks like between now and June 30th and what the role looks like, you know, when you turn the page on July 1 and have two members instead of 12 is the way that I always try to focus on it is I always bring it back to the mission and the student-athletes. And the reality is, is despite everything that's transpired, between now and June 30th, we still have 7,000 student-athletes that we're here to serve. We have 24 sports that we need to execute, and we're running championships, and we're selling sponsorships and promoting stories and all of that. So, look, I keep saying to the staff, you know, I know that sometimes uh, it feels challenging. It feels uncomfortable given everything that's transpired, but our why and our focus and our mission hasn't changed. I will say that while we're continuing to serve all 12 institutions and execute our normal business between now and June, we're also all still working on the bright future that we have in front of us and building the organization for post July 1 and working on strategy for the future for OSU and WSU and, you know, working with all the national bodies to help uh, pave that future. So it's a delicate balance, but I think our focus on the student-athletes and and the mission that we have is is what makes it all work. I want to go back to that farm town in Iowa that you grew up in. What's the town? Tell me about the town. Well, let me tell you, to be accurate here, because my mother might listen to this, and she'll want to make sure I'm accurate. So I was born in a town called Jefferson, Iowa, which is in central Iowa, very, very, very small farming community. I'm guessing, you know, a few thousand people. And uh, we moved when I was literally like weeks old. So I was generally raised in Burlington, Iowa. And Burlington, Iowa is a town of around 30,000-ish, I think. And it's right on the Mississippi River, a real blue-collar town on the Mississippi River in southeast Iowa where Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri kind of all uh, come together. It was, it was a great place to grow up, for sure. That town, um, originally called Flint Hill, according to Wikipedia, but uh, 
give me an idea. I, you know, my, I grew up in a town that was a similar size, a small town. We had one McDonald's. We had, we had one little movie theater. What was your town like? Uh, it was similar. It was very small, very friendly. Everybody knew everybody. Your neighborhoods, you know, were very community-focused. Burlington is actually a really beautiful town. I know people don't think of Iowa as being a hilly state, but Burlington is kind of on a bluff overlooking the Mississippi River, and it's, it's really beautiful, and it's famous for Snake Alley. And Lombard Street in San Francisco claims to be the crookedest street in the world, but I think Snake Alley in Burlington gives it um, a run for its money. Um, but it is a very slow pace, two high schools, one Catholic high school, one public high school, you know, not a lot of uh, entertainment uh, options, but a great place to grow up and a lot of community focus for sure. I guess the story goes that there wasn't uh, a girls softball team. Your dad and yourself petitioned to play baseball. And how did that go? What, what was that time of your life like? Yeah, it was an interesting time, John. And, and I have four siblings and we're all give or take a year to 18 months apart. And I was kind of the primary athlete in the family. I played basketball, I played softball, I ran track, tennis, any sport I could get involved in, I wanted to. But softball and basketball were really my passions. And I really, really wanted to play softball. But at the time, and again, this was, you know, in the late 70s, at the time, there were no well-developed softball leagues. And it just infuriated my father that I didn't have an opportunity to play softball and so, you know, we fought. We literally had to go to the city council and write all kinds of letters and um, try to get the, the community to either, A, add a softball league or, B, allow me to play baseball. And ultimately, I did both. I played baseball for a while on uh, a boys' little league and then transitioned over. Eventually, when we were successful getting a softball league, um, I played in that league. It was interesting, John. I was back in Iowa um, in August to visit my mother, and my father has since passed, but I actually found the letter that he wrote to the city council to address the issue of not having a softball um, league in the community. So it was pretty inspiring, and uh, I take after my dad quite a bit. One thing that he had in him was a lot of fight and a lot of grit. I love that. I have three daughters, and I, I think one of the things I'd love for them to say someday is, hey, my dad had my back, and you're saying that today. Teresa Gold with us, uh, Pac-12 commissioner. First day on the job will be tomorrow, Friday. Um, I want to maybe rehash a little bit of what, what went on in the news conference earlier today. Um, the idea of the Pac-12 networks as a business, um, it sounds like you want to keep the doors open. What, what is that plan for the Pac-12 networks? Well, John, we are planning on keeping the doors open. Um, our, our board, the two presidents from Oregon State and Washington State, made the decision to continue to operate that facility at least through the 24-25 academic year. We're still in the process of kind of developing those business plans and, and trying to really look into how we can leverage that um, as a business asset. But sure, we're going to be providing production services to Oregon State and Washington State Obviously, we want to showcase and provide the exposure that those programs are accustomed to receiving. So we'll be producing live events. We'll be producing content. They also have some production commitments in their WCC affiliate agreement to put contests uh, on ESPN+. Plus. So we'll be producing all of those events that take place on those two campuses as well. But I think in the long term, 
the Pac-12 networks part of it and kind of the opportunity to figure out long-term how we leverage this asset in our future conference alignment strategy, I think is going to be really important. And it's it's an unbelievable facility with state-of-the-art technology. I believe we have a a lot of talent on that staff as well. They're the best in the business. And we're really trying to figure out long-term how it can not only be a profitable business entity, but also something, given the unique nature of it, that we can leverage since it's really a -a one-of-a-kind facility at the A5 level. The Mariners did something interesting in spring training, caught my eye. They are doing kind of a webcast of the diamond, and they just have a camera that's fixed on the diamond, and they synced it with the radio broadcast. And I, I kind of got me thinking, like, could the Pac-12 network do that for some of the smaller events? Would that be something that fans would tune into? I don't know. I think, and then you've got, obviously, in the Bay Area with that location and uh, and the technology to the ability to, to become a production facility and, so it just doesn't sound like any, that the presidents are willing to give up on that. That's a that's a that's a nice asset. Um, the college football playoff became a topic of conversation earlier today, as you know, people asking you, what is the mission? You know, let's talk from an Oregon State, Washington State standpoint. What? How do you see the the mission or the motivation for the conference tied to the playoff? Yeah, and I think that's really important, John. I mean, as we all know, I mean, both teams have been nationally competitive and and having viable football programs on those campuses is a priority. And the CFP model is a critical part of that. So for me, the mission and, and kind of my goal sitting at that table with the other A5 commissioners is really a few different things. Number one, the access question is really important, and we need to think about and talk about models moving forward post-2026 that, you know, reward and provide access for performance on the field so that deserving teams that have competed at the level and finished their season successfully to be in a position to make that field, that they have the access and that the model allows that access. So that's certainly a priority. There's the revenue distribution piece and, you know, we need to continue to talk about with all of the unknowns around where OSU and WSU will land after 2026, making sure that in the future model that they're considered and um, that they're treated fairly and as A5 programs that they benefit um, from that revenue appropriately. And then the last thing that I mentioned earlier today on the presser was just one of the things that I think we realized with what has transpired with the PAC-12 is that we need a process within the CFP and within the CFP governance to address unanticipated issues, right? We need to be nimble enough. We need to be adaptable enough to make sure that whatever we put in place that we can react to and adjust and adapt when there are other changes in the marketplace and in the membership, which I'm confident will happen at some point during the term of the next agreement. The, you know, it's interesting because it's a moving target, right? We, everyone kind of speculates what's going to happen to college athletics. Would football split away? Will the NCAA be a thing? Uh, Will the playoff expand to 12, 14, 16? What will it be? It's this, this weird moving target. And, you know, there's some uncertainty in the ACC and other places. And so how do you navigate that? It, you know, on one hand, moving towards rebuilding the conference, if that's what you have to do. And on the other hand, positioning these two conference schools to be in good position along with the conference should should opportunity present itself. 
Well, I think a couple things. I mean, I really feel like all of this seismic change, while it is unpredictable, I, I think it's to our advantage. Like, I, I really believe that, that where we're going to be in a month or a year or 18 months is going to look different than where we are today. Like, certainly what happened on August 4th, nobody would have anticipated. But I don't think that's the only domino to fall. I think there are going to be others as a result of either what's happening at the CFP level, what's happening with litigation, what's happening at the NCAA. And I think my job in partnering with the two athletic directors and the two presidents is to make sure that we're attacking all of this change and not only protecting the interests of OSU and WSU, but thinking through strategically how to capitalize on any change that might be coming down the pike, but then also to be influencers in that change, right? We can't just sit back and passively wait for the change to happen. We have to utilize our governance seats, utilize the influence that we do have to influence the change um, to our benefit. Is there a chance you guys could do something bold and forward thinking and and just go, you know, we're you know, we're here to invest in other teams and rebuild this thing and we're going to broadcast on the Pac-12 network and keep that thing a real TV network and try to sell rights or is that all sound like hey, that's great to talk about, it's great for people in message boards and comment sections to banter about, but first you have to take care of dotting the i's and crossing the t's and what's in front of you. I guess from a commissioner standpoint, how do you how do you kind of balance that, your two roles, being visionary but also dealing with what's in front of you? Yeah, I mean I think we have to be we have to be realistic and we need to spend our time on the options and the scenarios that we think have the most likely uh, likelihood of success. But John, I don't think anything is off the table. Like I think that, you know, we have to stay open minded to anything and everything that is out there. And I owe that to these programs like i owe it to these programs to not have any foregone conclusions about which which option is the best because the reality is is today as we're sitting today we don't even know what all of the options are because things are changing so rapidly so it's really my job to not not you know not eliminate any options but be open-minded about it take them on and be prepared to evaluate all the options so that hopefully we have some decisions and some considerations to make, but lots of different um, options on the table. What happens if there are Pac-12 records set in games against Mountain West and WCC schools next season? Are they Pac-12 records? Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're you know we're keeping all of the archives. Um, in fact, that was something that we've been working on for months now. Like all the documents, all the records, and I have to tell you a funny story about that, John. Um, my team, my compliance and governance team, was in the office last week going through old compliance and governance records, eligibility petitions, and such. And they found a hard copy document of an eligibility petition for my husband from 1988. That's awesome. <laughs> which was hilarious. So, yes, I mean, we're, we're keeping archives, we're, you know, restoring the history, and, um, you know, the records are all, are all part of that. The, the, in, the intellectual property, like, you know, obviously the Pac-12 is still the Pac-12, but is there any, I guess I'm kind of wondering who owns the rights to the Bill Walton footage, and 
UCLA wants to use that, do they need your permission? And, you know, Oregon needs to, if they want to use stuff where they're going, do they need to get the Pac-12 to sign off on that? How does all that work? So that is, that's a really, really important issue, John, not only in terms of the asset part of it and the revenue potential, but also just the history and the, and the legacy when we talk about archiving. And that is one issue that has not yet been resolved. I'm going to be honest with you about that. That is still still being discussed. Don't have resolution on that issue yet. Teresa Gold, Pac-12 commissioner, is with us. Um, okay, you got a women's conference basketball tournament, men's tournament coming up. Um, I'm excited for both. I, the women's tournament, especially with Oregon State in it, there are a lot of people in our region that are excited. The men's tournament's got Washington State uh, in it, and uh, I think it would be kind of it, it might be kind of a fitting finish to see those two programs matter in the end in this tournament. But how excited are you from a conference standpoint and as a basketball person uh, for this tournament? Oh, I am beyond excited. I mean, I'm, I'm giddy. Like, I'm literally counting down the days. And I met with both our women's basketball sport administrator and our men's basketball sport administrator yesterday and today to talk about postseason prognosis and how we're looking. Ticket sales are through the roof. Um, there's obviously a ton of fan interest in both of these tournaments. So I'm really excited. And uh, my excitement is for a lot of different reasons. I mean, number one, we're going to see some really, really great basketball. I mean, you look at it on the women's side and our depth is just absolutely unreal. On the men's side, you know, it hasn't been, I think, the season that we had all hoped, but still really, really exciting. And it's awesome to see what Kyle Smith and Washington State are, are doing right now. But Part of what I love about it, John, is these championships are one of the few opportunities that you have when you work in a conference office to actually really, really be around the student-athletes and the energy of the student-athletes and the joy of the student-athletes. And I always tell our team, going into these championships, I said, we're in the business of making memories. And you go to these championships and you see the, the excitement and you see the memories that are being made. And it just, it makes it all worthwhile and it's really rewarding. And I would also say it's, it's one of the best things for our staff, for us to all be together and to, you know, support each other and enjoy our time with these programs. It's, it's the best thing that we do, no question. All right, before I cut you loose, Kirk Schultz, uh, one of the two Pac-2, Pac-12 presidents. Do you get mad when people say Pac-2? By the way, I gotta—I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I think it's an easy way to say, "Hey, I'm not talking about the ten departing schools." When I ask this question, but I don't get mad, but I tell my team never to say that. It, and then, and then the other thing that drives me crazy is people will say the Pac-12 is ending, and I go, "Well, the Pac-12, as you knew it, is ending." But don't say the Pac-12 is ending because I do think fans at Oregon State, Washington State, deserve better than people saying that. Hundred percent. 100%. The Pac-12 is continuing. Along those lines, Kirk Schultz said in an interview a week ago that he didn't think realignment was over. Do you think we're headed towards like a shape-shifting, catastrophic type realignment? Are we talking about just uh, some touches here, touches there? Uh, I'm not going to hold you to this if, if chaos breaks loose, but what's your feel on what's going to happen in the next two years, in this term that you've got so far? Well, look, I think for sure there's going to be further realignment. I think the, the questions in my mind are old. Number one, how catastrophic is it going to be? Like, is it going to be transformational, like everything breaks loose? 
or is it going to be, you know, minor tweaks? Like we've, we've continued to see, I feel like every week I pick up the paper and say, oh, another shift in, you know, one of the group of five conferences like we saw this week. I think the question is really more about timing. Like for me, the timing is what I question in my mind. And I think a lot of that is going to be contingent upon how quickly some of these things that are happening nationally move, right? The litigation, the NCAA Project D1, like some of these CFP decisions, like there's just a lot of moving parts right now that are going to influence I think the further shifts that might come down the road. So my question is more around timing, um, but I do think we could see something significant over time. All right. And then finally, you know, we've reported about the, the war chest that the conference or the schools will have available. And I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, distribution wise, is the plan for Washington state and Oregon state to take a distribution that's similar or comparable to what they've taken in prior years uh, in media rights when you know under the old deal or how does the the settlement money sort of work as it pertains to dividing between the schools and the conference itself look i think the settlement money is really kind of viewed as separate and for a separate purpose than the normal conference distributions okay. so we're working right now like literally over the coming weeks about kind of finalizing a budget and a scope of services and all of the financials around what the organization is going to look like in FY25. And there will be a distribution from that. We still have conference revenue coming in. We still have NCAA basketball money. We still have CFP money. We still have Rose Bowl money. We, we have revenue coming in that will allow us to distribute a, a normal conference distribution to those two institutions. It won't be at the same level that they're accustomed to because of the media rights piece, but there will be a distribution. But until we actually get the budget approved and are really clear on what the organization is going to look like, I can't tell you what that number is going to look like, but there will be a normal conference distribution. The settlement money and the war chest, as you call it, I think is really intended for different long-term, more strategic um, uses. Are we talking about a possible rebuild there? Yeah, possible rebuild, realignment, like there's all kinds of things that that money um, could be used for. Teresa Gold, thank you. Congrats on uh, your, uh, I guess, uh, was that the appetizer today to, you you know, your first day? I don't know. I hope they're paying you conference commissioner money today because you're doing that job. It's all good. I I, uh, I love speaking on behalf of the work that I do, and it's it's work that I love, and I'm happy to have an opportunity to continue to do it. I, I just love that you come from a campus, and I think to you know so often we see sort of a, a departure from people who understood what the jobs were. And your time at UC Davis and UC Berkeley certainly connects you back, and and uh, your small town roots as well. But thank you, Teresa. Thanks for doing this interview. You got it. Nice to nice to visit, and I look forward to seeing you in Vegas next week. Teresa Gold, Pac-12 Commissioner. You heard it here exclusively, one-on-one interview. You got the bald face truth statewide. Oregon will be off to the Big Ten Conference. Oregon State, Washington State in the Pac-12 or Pac-2 or whatever you want to call it. Anna's in the studio. Anna, you heard Teresa Gold, the new commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference, speaking there. First one-on-one interview after being appointed as commissioner. She did a group interview earlier today. Uh, immediate impressions. You heard her. You're one of these media coaches. What would you think? 
I thought she was great. I feel like it's the first time in quite a while that I sincerely have hope for where the conference is headed. Um, I didn't really know anything about her, but um, I I like the roots, you know, like I like her story. I like uh, where she came from. I can tell there's some fight in her, and but it's not um, unwielded. You know, like I think she's going to be strategic and smart and um, a collaborator as well. They have a tough road. I mean, it's it's they have a bad hand. Like if you're walking behind them at a casino and you, Taylor's got a uh, you know an eight or a nine showing. They're sitting on a 12 or a 13 here, all right? <laughs> and they're in a bad position with their hand. Um, I was concerned about her after the earlier news conference earlier today because she seemed to defer to Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, too readily. And I thought, gosh, you know, there was at one point where, you know, Schultz looked at her and said, well, Teresa, I guess I'll take this question. Um, and, I, and I just didn't think it was a great situation uh, in, a, in a great representation. But I also thought she was in a tough spot because she's doing this Zoom interview. We all don't look human in Zoom interviews. She's alongside Kurt Schultz. She's got a fake background behind her. She's trying not to blink. You know, she's getting a bunch of media questions that were from people around the country that some of them, um, you know, weren't that interested in the Pac-12. They were asking more big picture questions about, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC what plans they're up to. And and so I think, you know, I just wanted her to be a little stronger in that in that news conference earlier. And so I do think she was much better in that one-on-one. Yeah, and, you know, it may be a situation where there's an adjustment period, right? She's just taking on this role. She's not even officially on the job yet until tomorrow. And, you know, I don't blame her for being a little cautionary in her first news conference about coming out and saying too much, especially when the waters are what they are. I mean, there's so much potential change in the next year or two. Um, I can tell that they're trying to be flexible. They're trying to be um, able to adapt to whatever comes down the road so that they are positioned well to emerge from you know, the last year and a half with with some success. Key takeaways. Um, she talked about the Pac-12 network future. Sounds like they're going to keep the doors open, let it be a production entity, let it do work for Oregon State and Washington State and kind of be this, um, you know, I guess it's a difference maker, so to speak, you know, because they're playing Mountain West Conference teams and WCC teams in sports. They, those teams don't have a network at their disposal or backing them. So it is a little bit of a differentiator uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, what how different they are from uh, from the rest of the teams in the Mountain West Conference and the WCC. I also thought it was interesting, um, you know, at the end of the interview when I said to her, you know, where does the $255 million go? And she sort of lets on that, you know, that's being set aside for strategic reasons. Alarm bells went off in my head, and I'm like, oh, that's a rebuild fund. That's a war chest, so to speak, to go out and try to get San Diego State, try to get Boise State, try to get Fresno State, try to get Colorado State and UNLV and Air Force, and there's a potential there that you've got a couple hundred million dollars to go do that. Like, that's that's a real thing. Now, can you find a media partner that will buy all that content from you? That's another question, and at a number that makes sense, but... 
feels to me like uh, they are not just going to live off that money and then rest on their laurels. I also like that she's a fighter. The story about you know her and the softball team and uh, you know wanting to play baseball and not being allowed to do it, and her dad having to write a letter to the city council, and you know that's somebody who's fought for some things in her life. Mm-hmm. And you know her background is she you know she worked at UC Davis. She worked at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. She graduated from Berkeley with a uh, master's degree. She went to Iowa State uh, before that. So I like the fact that she's got some connection to the college campuses, has been an administrator on college campuses. So uh, I don't think she's like one of these commissioners that's going to be detached. But I also don't think she's a normal commissioner. These are not normal times. You have a two-team conference. You have a weird conference dynamic, an office dynamic, where you got a whole bunch of employees who were informed that right after the conference tournaments in basketball, they're free to go home. They're not going to come back. Mm -hmm. And so you got a whole bunch of employees in the office. 95% of the employees will not work beyond June 30th in the office. And you have a whole group of employees who just found out, like, hey, after the conference basketball tournaments, you're going to get your severance and you're free to go. And so it's a really weird time. How do you get people to work for now? And, and then knowing that they're not working, you know, beyond June 30th. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a situation that a lot of organizations face when things are sunsetting. But, you know, I, I guess I came away from that, and maybe I'm being too Pollyanna, but I came away from it with a little bit of hope. Like, okay, she's not as, you know, she's not a bulldog, as far as I can tell, like Brett Yormark was, right? No, she's not, she's not, not that person. dynamic like that, but few people are like him. So I guess after the last, you know, couple of years, what I worry about is somebody who is too collegial, because yeah. that's been the criticism of George Klyovkov, is like, well, he went on the listening tour, and he was a really nice guy, but was he too nice of a guy? And that's why the conference wound up in the predicament that it, that it wound up in. Yeah, and... Part of it is I I was told too that you know she's well liked. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why they like her. Sure. She's a personable human being. Yeah. And I talked to her earlier today for about 10 minutes off air mm-hmm. and I can see why people like her. Yeah. She's just she's a nice person and you know she comes from that college background and she I, I honestly think she cares about the kids. Yeah. Like, that's new. Yeah. That's not, I don't hear Greg Sankey, and I don't hear Brett Yormark, and I don't hear Tony Petiti kind of talking about, I will fight for these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're fighting for the presidents and the chancellors, and they're fighting for television dollars. But she's playing a little bit different game, and, and maybe she's the right person for the next couple of years. Now, her contract with Oregon State and Washington State extends for just two years. So she'll just be, like, on the job for two years. It suggests to me that that's the timeline. Kirk Schultz, Washington State president, said there's no timeline today. Nonsense. This is like a two-year thing. <laughs> okay. you got to figure out, because you can't play Mountain West and you can't play WCC forever. Right. So here's what I think is going to happen. Bold predictions. Okay, you ready? Okay. I think that Oregon State and Washington State obviously are going to keep one eye on everything else going on in the landscape of college athletics. One eye on the ACC, one eye on are, are the Big Ten and the SEC up to no good. One eye, maybe I should have two eyes on those, but one <laughs> eye on like what's happening with the playoff expansion and the nonsense going on with that. You know, as far as the Big Ten and the ACC or SEC are concerned, they they would want buys into the championship game probably. But it, you know, she got to keep an eye on that. The conference does. 
The other eye has to be on this plan to rebuild and identifying, is it those two schools that I mentioned? Is it San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State, Air Force, Colorado State, UNLV? Those six are the ones that come to mind, and I think you could fashion a group of five conference that would be the best group of five conference out there that with a straight face you could say, hey, we are the best conference that's rooted in the western part of the United States, bar none. Now, could you expand that to include some WCC members? Possibly. Like, could you could you get Gonzaga in there as mm-hmm. a basketball school? And could you bring, you know, maybe you only take Air Force as a football school. You know, so all of a sudden you start to think creatively and say, okay, could you make this thing better than, a little bit better and sprinkle a little more value over it? But you know, I think they have that. Her comment at the end about the, you know, that money will be used for strategic reasons, just jumped at me, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's not like Oregon State and Washington State going to lay back <laughs> and just live off the fat of the land, mm-hmm. like they just won two hundred fifty-five million. You always see the stories about those people who hit the lottery and end up broke. <laughs> you know, it's not like Oregon State, <laughs> Washington State are going to be. Like, let's go buy a new, let's go buy a house and then buy a car and buy some jewelry. No, I think they're setting that money aside going, we're going to need that when and if this other stuff doesn't work out and there's nowhere for us to go. We're going to need that money to go out and pay buyout fees uh, for San Diego State and others. And you understand the landscape a lot better than most of us as far as nationally and how the Pac-12 would be received if those were the schools that were added to it, if that, if, if in two years that's what Washington State and Oregon State pull together as a conference, how will that be perceived across the country? It's still going to be viewed as a group of five. They're going to be viewed as less than. They are. There's no way around it. When you, you know, when you are, like, I was talking to a longtime college administrator this morning on the phone, and you know, he was saying, you know, look, the message to America is Washington State and Oregon State didn't have enough value mm-hmm. to be included in the Big 12, ACC, Big 10. Yeah. They didn't have enough value. Right. Okay. And we all know that. They didn't have the media market. It's not their fault. Like mm-hmm. anybody else could have ended up in that same predicament. But, you know, save for your geography or your brand. Like yeah. Oregon, if Oregon doesn't have Phil Knight, Oregon's you know, like right next to Oregon State right, right now. Right. So here's... So it's not their fault, but they didn't have enough value. And so the perception of them, if they, if you add Boise State and San Diego State, Fresno State, Air Force, Colorado State, UNLV next to them, the perception is going to be that's Mountain West plus. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's Power 5 minus. Mm-hmm. It's not on the Power 4 level. It's mm-hmm. not there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are, I think, in that. Now, the other thing that could happen is, if you just added those schools and you got to eight, what they could do is sit around and wait to see, does the ACC implode? Mm-hmm. And if it does, do Stanford and Cal want to come back and join that? Now, I don't think Stanford and Cal want to be anywhere near Boise State and Fresno State in a conference. Right. They just don't. Right. They, they don't want to rub shoulders with that. So there is some danger there if you do take those schools of sort of identifying that, hey, we are legitimately saying we're, a, we're, a, we're the strongest group of five conference in America but we're still a group of five conference. Mm-hmm. Let's take some phone calls. Mike's in Seattle, wants to weigh in on Teresa Gould's interview. What do you think? Well, I think she's a good sales lady, John. It's buzzword bingo, okay? 
I worked at a major corporation in the Seattle area. It's buzzword bingo about, you know, about culture and this kind of stuff. You know, the fact of the matter, I like your last show comment. You know, the market has already shown what Oregon State and Washington State are worth, right? You can't, you know, you can't go rub two pennies and make gold, you know. And, and if they hang on to the Pac-12 network, then they've got to have product to put on the air, and then advertisers have to pay to have that on there. And if they're just going to have an Oregon State versus, uh, I'll say, Eastern Washington, yeah. that'll be fun to watch because I'm a Beaver yeah. fan. But but you know they're not going to sell it for a profit. So yeah, um, your your phones drive me crazy. But I'm going to hang up on you. But I I get where you're going with it. Here's the other thing: like, don't mistake. Teresa Gold saying the Pac-12 network stores are going to stay open, that we're going to keep it as a production. So don't mistake that for we're going to be a network. Mm-hmm. It might just be, and here's the dirty secret that, you know, I'm kind of, I've kind of been poking around this. It might just be that the Pac-12 network does production work for Amazon, Apple. They both have sports properties that they are they need production help with. It might just be that they do a lot of web-based uh, streaming and social media production for those two schools, and they are just pumping out content left and right. They're they're wired in that way already. It might be that they end up contracting because they have the production capability to go out and produce football games. They might go out and produce a football game for the Mountain West Conference. They might go out and produce a football game for the Big Ten, the Big Ten Network. That's the irony, is they have the production capability they're located in the Pacific time zone. They are wired directly. All the Pac-12 schools have direct infrastructure to that Pac-12 headquarters. So Colorado, Utah, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, the Arizona schools, they all are still wired directly to the Pac-12 network production facility. Mm. So if I'm the Big Ten network or the Big 12's partners, Fox, uh, and I and I or ESPN and I I go hey we want to produce a game, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 network could end up doing that. Right. So you end up being a little side hustle for Oregon State and Washington State. This thing is churning and making revenue and producing content and and you know and maybe someday when you put the conference back together again, yeah, you go okay, we're going to produce all of our games through this hub. Mm-hmm. But it's an asset nonetheless. And so I think it was interesting to say hear her say. We're committed to this for 24-25. So they're going to give it a year and kind of see what the business of it mm-hmm. looks like. And to the buzzword bingo thing, I get it. Like, you know, she has a bad hand. What are you supposed to do? She can't fold. So, yeah, she's got to – of course she's going to have some buzzwords in her. But I, my thing is I, – my fear is that she's just going to be a manager yeah, who's been left in charge of the conference. Mm-hmm. Babysit the conference while we play this out. Mm-hmm. My hope is that she'll show some vision and some fight. We'll see what happens. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.